Father, thank you that we have a hope that, that transcends death. Thank you, Father, that we have a Savior who's alive, who loves us, who invites us into a relationship with him, and, and who longs to be in our presence with us. Father, I thank you that we can celebrate the empty tomb. I pray we would do that well, even now, as we take time to look at your word. I pray for the one who's with us who might be stuck in that tomb. I pray that in this moment they would hear that lion's roar and they would find freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. It's in his matchless and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Go to Mark 16 while you're doing that. Little uh, pop quiz. He is risen. All right, this half of the room did pretty good. You guys are out cold over there. What happened? He is risen. There you go. That's what we're talking about. All right, so this week we have been focused on the theme for our Easter services, failure isn't final. Um, how many of you in the room would say that you have ever failed? Raise your hand. Ever failed. Okay, cool. Some of you didn't raise your hand. You just failed. You're a liar. Okay, so I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Stop lying. Every single one of us has failed, right? I mean, there, there's, there is failure that is throughout history. There is failure that is known um, in the history books as these monumental moments that have changed um, cultures because of massive failures. There are also personal failures where we just can't seem to get out of our own way. Let me share a couple for you right now of my own life. Not that there's a whole list or anything. Um, so I moved into a dorm when I was 12 years old. I went to a boarding school. Don't need to get into why, but I can tell you it wasn't because they were like, you seem like a great kid. Why don't you come join us? Um, so I lived in a dorm when I was 12, which meant I needed to learn how to do some things at age 12 that a lot of 12-year-olds don't do. I'm not saying they shouldn't do. I'm just saying the average one probably doesn't do this. However, if you're 12 and you're listening, you should get nervous because I'm going to encourage your parents to teach you how to do these things right now. First, I learned to do my own laundry. Uh, let me be clear. It was effective almost 20% of the time. I learned the hard way that you're not supposed to get a sweater and throw it in the dryer. Do you know what happens to a sweater you throw in the dryer? Okay, you would think it shrinks. I had a demon-possessed sweater because the middle of it shrunk and the arms were twice as long as they were supposed to be. I also learned how to sew buttons on my shirt when they popped off. I had a, a, an event that I needed to be at. I had gotten dressed, and as I was dressing, one of the main buttons came off my shirt, and I'm like, no, I can do this. So I sat down, took the shirt off, sat down on the bed, grabbed the sewing things, and was sewing the button onto my shirt really fast. I was like, man, that looks pretty good. And then I picked it up to put it on and realized I couldn't because I had actually sewn the shirt to my pants. <laughs> uh, my last name might be Taylor. That's about where it ends. <laughs> It was 110 years ago this very weekend, April 15th, is the, the date that they say this happened. Uh, one of the, the greatest failures in history occurred. The unsinkable vessel, the fail-proof ship called Titanic, sunk. Um, now, be honest with you, I, I need to be transparent about this. I, I, I cannot find a primary source on this, but it is reported constantly that what was said by one of the engineers of the Titanic, that that ship 
even God himself couldn't sink it. The funny thing, God didn't have to, an iceberg did. An iceberg split that thing in half. And you're all familiar with the story, right? You're familiar with the story. And probably not because you studied it in history. Probably because you're like, you know what? There was plenty of room on that floating thing for Jack to live. Right? Rose is rude. <laughs> it's just dumb. But that's what we know. We know I'm the king of the world, but we don't know the real facts behind the Titanic. More than 1,500 people lost their lives. The unsinkable ship hit an iceberg and was totally submerged inside of three hours. Only 700 people survived. The most famous ship since Noah's Ark ended in absolute tragedy and failure. When we do make it to our text this morning, it's going to take us a little while, when we do make it to Mark chapter 16, what we are going to find that Easter morning is that in the disciples' life, the iceberg had been hit. Everything had changed. Jesus being nailed to a cross on Friday caused the story of hope that they were carrying within themselves as they followed Jesus and listened to his teachings and believed what they, they believed about who he was. All of that seemed to end in tragedy when they put him in a borrowed tomb. All of the disciples were living in the middle of failure, or at least feeling like they had failed. Probably no one more than the disciple named Peter. Now, if, if, if you know Peter, you know why, right? Peter is the, he was the poster child for ready, fire, aim. That's Peter. Anybody, you know anybody else like that in your life? If you don't, here I am right here. Ha! That's real sorry, man. Your kids just like raised their hand and were like, Dad. <laughs> that, that's, that's just who we are. You never had to wonder what Peter was thinking. Whatever he was thinking came out of his mouth. Uh, you, you never had to worry about Peter being bashful. He would be the first one to jump into the middle of a conversation every time. But the problem is that, well, let me, let me share you a couple of problems with you. Here, let me, let's go to this. Um, Jesus is trying to share with the disciples what's going to happen in the future, right? He says to them, now listen, we're going to go into Jerusalem and we're going to suffer because the high priests, the scribes, they're going to come after me, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me, but then I'm going to be raised on the third day. So, so Jesus is laying all these things out for the disciples so that they would understand and, 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 and be able to, to know what's happening. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. You see that, right? You understand what that means, right? Jesus is pulled aside by Peter, and Peter's like, no, Jesus, you have it wrong. Yikes. But let's be honest. I, I do that with God all the time, don't you? God, you, you, obviously, you obviously took a nap or something, because there's no way this should happen. 
God, God, there's absolutely no way this can be good. There's no way this fits inside your plan. There's absolutely no way this is what you're thinking is, is appropriate for me in this moment, at this time, right now. God, do better. No, Lord, this will never happen to you. They won't arrest you. They won't beat you. They won't murder you. That's not going to happen, not on my watch. I refuse to let that happen. That is not convenient for me. And Jesus says, yeah, get behind me, Satan. He ouch. Now, I've been called a lot of names in my life. Um, the level of harm and hurt that comes with the name calling is directly in relation to the person who's calling me that name. For Jesus to look at his disciple Peter and say, get behind me, Satan, had to have stung pretty hard. Jesus can just listen, you, you are a hindrance to me. Ow. Why is he a hindrance? Because you are thinking human thoughts. You're thinking human thoughts, human thinking. You're, you're not worried about God's concerns. You're worried about your own. Being called Satan by Jesus is probably not a good thing. But small potatoes compared to what happens later. The night that Jesus was betrayed, the, the night before he was executed, he had gathered his disciples into the room, and he's speaking to them, and he says this, all of you are going to fall away. Because it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Now, after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter said, ain't so, Lord. I don't care what you say. These cowards might bail on you, but not Peter. Not me. I'm not going anywhere. All of them, they may fall away. I will not fall away. I'm not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what happens. You can always count on me. I'm never abandoning you. And Jesus' response says, truly, I tell you, Peter, today, this very night, before the rooster crows, twice, you will deny me three times. But then Peter, being Peter, just keeps insisting, I, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Never. Just a few hours later, they seized Jesus. They led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. And meanwhile, Peter is following them at a distance. So they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. And they sat down together. And, and Peter sat among them. And as they were sitting there, a servant girl saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him. And she said, now this, this man right here. He was with them too. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. <laughs> Everybody else, Jesus, you see those cowards? I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> A little while later, somebody else saw him and said, wait, no, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. Oh, Jesus, no, I will never deny you. I would die first. About an hour later, another one kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he is also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, a different gospel account covering that 
third denial of knowing Jesus says that Peter puts a little something extra on it. He started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. He wanted to make it abundantly clear he wasn't going down with Jesus. And immediately, while Peter was still speaking, in fact, he was still uttering the denial of knowing Jesus, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how how he had said to him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Peter's entire world just fell down. He just had this cataclysmic failure. He smashed the iceberg, the stern is snapped in half. He is taking on water and he's going under fast. What kind of follower is he? What, what kind of friend is he that would deny him? What, what kind of man is he that would do that, right? I mean, I know, every single one of you in here has failed, even those of you that didn't raise your hand because you're liars. Remember, established at the beginning, right? Okay, good. So we've all failed, but it'd be hard to, to conceive of a way of blowing it worse than Peter did. I mean, Peter has spent three years almost constantly in the presence of Jesus. He has sat and listened to Jesus preach. He has listened to the teachings of Jesus. He has listened to the parables of Jesus. He was in the inner circle of the disciples. He was in the room when Jairus' daughter was brought back to life. He saw countless other miracles. He was on the mountain with Jesus when his divine glory shone from his face. He had seen it all, and to make it worse, just a few hours earlier, he said, I will never deny you. And that, that phrasing in there that as he's doing it, he locks eyes with Jesus is just heartbreaking. Because in that moment, he knows he has failed. And it causes you to ask the question, if Peter, who has been with Jesus so closely, understood so much more of the teaching, got to see so much firsthand experience, then if he blew it, what hope do I have? What, what hope do we have? I mean, okay, our failures aren't written in Scripture for everybody to read for the rest of time. I'm thankful for that, right? But every single one of us has failed. Every single one of us has let somebody else down, not to mention broken the heart of God with our sinful behavior. Every single one of us has betrayed a friendship. We've lied. We've cheated. We've, we've stolen. We've reacted in anger. We've, we've reacted in passivity when we should be angry. As sinners, we have constantly taken God's place on the throne and tried to make ourselves gods. So where's the hope for us in the middle of that mess? Where's your hope? So like I said at the beginning, Easter morning um, really was them reacting to having hit the iceberg as disciples. And so as you look at Mark 16, what you find is the Sabbath is over. The ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they could go and anoint him. Now, just for a moment, let me remind you of something. They weren't skipping to the tomb like, this is going to be wonderful. I can't wait. 
They were going to the tomb to take care of the body of their Jesus, their Savior, their, their rabbi. Very early in the morning on that first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise, and they were saying to one another along the way, we have a problem. Who, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Who's going to take care of the giant stone that has been placed at the mouth of the tomb to keep people out? Who, who's, who's going to do that for us? There's historians who have written about the same time as this and used that same word stone, and it is used to describe an object that would take between 150 and 200 men to get to move. This thing's huge. And these ladies are walking like, what are we going to do? It's kind of like when you, you, you go to the office early to work, and then you pull in the parking lot and realize, didn't bring your keys. You're not going to get a lot of work done, are you? Do you get credit for that? No, you don't. You don't. Um, if you work here, you get made fun of, because that's a core value we have. We love you. We're still going to make fun of you. What are they going to do? So you almost feel them with their heads down, like, who's going to move the stone? I don't know. They, get, they look up, and when they look up, they notice that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man who was dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Okay, just for the record, understatement of the scripture forever. Alarmed. Try terrified. Losing their minds. What is this that's happening? And the, the, the angel who is sitting there says, don't be alarmed. Okay, that helps, sure. We'll just stop being alarmed. That's cool. <laughs> I know why you're here. You're here. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was crucified. Well, here. He's risen. Oh, there we go. Uh, let's try it again. Ready? We'll run back. Okay. Don't be alarmed. He told him, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. All right, nicely done. <laughs> He's not here. He's not here. He's not here. Look at the place where, 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 where they put him. Right here. The stone slab where his dead body should be. The, the angel says, listen, he's not here. Look for yourself. He's gone. Now, what I want you to do is go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going on ahead of you into Galilee, and you're going to see him there just as he told you. Where is hope? Hope is in the fact that the stone has been rolled away. Now, the resurrection means that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power, Romans 1.4 tells us. Please understand something. The stone wasn't rolled in front of the tomb to keep Jesus in. They usually don't have a problem with dead people trying to get out. Right? So that means when the stone was rolled away, it wasn't for Jesus to get out. Jesus isn't going to be stopped by a stone. He said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And he is going to be their ransom, right? No stone's going to stop that. No, the stone was rolled away so that we could look inside and see, in fact, it is true. He's not there. You want hope? The stone has been rolled away. You want hope? Jesus is alive. The death that, that Jesus um, suffered on the cross was a payment for our sins. It was the, and the resurrection was uh, the receipt, the confirmation that the payment was accepted. Think about it this way. When a criminal goes to jail, um, and he's a sentence, and he gets in and he serves his time in prison. When he gets out of prison, 
he is allowed to go free if he has fully satisfied the sentence. The jail no longer has claim on him. He walks out a free man. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty of our sins, which is a, a huge sentence, but he must have satisfied it fully because he walked out of the tomb fully free and alive. You want hope? Jesus lives. You know what that means? You will too. You want hope? The resurrection isn't just a story for everyone. The resurrection is a story for one. The resurrection is a story for you. The resurrection was a story for Peter. See the place where they put him? No. What I want you to do, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why did he say and Peter? Why, why, why would he say and Peter? Man, I have no idea what Peter's doing at this time. I don't know if he's ducking the disciples. I don't know if he's in hiding. I don't know if, if he's just in complete and total shame, so he wants nothing to do with anybody. I have no idea what's happening with Peter, right? But, but what I think would happen if Jesus said, just go get the disciples and have them go to Galilee and we'll meet there. If that message had made its way to the disciples, Peter probably would have been like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm staying back. You guys take this one on your own. <laughs> last, time, last time I was with Jesus. It didn't, didn't go so well. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't think he wants to see me. I think he's angry. You ever failed God and felt like that? I have. Like, man, I, he, he's got to be angry. The good news of hope is that Peter was personally invited by Jesus. He was invited by name, not to earn forgiveness. It's not like Jesus came back and was like, listen, Peter, didn't go so well, so why don't we do this? If you do this, 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 and this, maybe then we can build our relationship back up. It wasn't that at all. He came back and he offered Peter grace. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There are no good deeds. There's no extra effort. It's not through your own strength. That's what religion teaches, by the way. Religion teaches that salvation is through your own strength. And if that's the way you're pursuing God, let me tell you right now, you are doing it all wrong. You're setting yourself up for complete disappointment because it's not about what you can do. It's what God has already done for you. What God has done for you is offered a payment for your sins. What God has done for you is he's conquered death. What God has done for you is he's called you by name. And he wants to offer you grace. And Peter is about an invitation to receive grace based on what God has already done. There is no failure, no matter how bad, that can separate us from the, the risen Savior's love if we'll simply turn to him and receive it. That stone has been rolled away. Jesus is alive. He's inviting you personally to receive the gift that he is offering. The gift that he's offering is a payment for your sins that is 100% iceberg proof. It will never fail you. It will never let you down. Have you received that offer from Jesus? Let me do something a little different this morning. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes just for, just for a moment. Without anybody looking around, I, I just want to invite you to respond to the grace that Jesus Christ is extending to you. I mean, have you, have you ever received the gift that Jesus is offering? The, the, the gift of, of grace and a payment for your sins. Jesus, Jesus died for you. Jesus suffered for you, he rose from the grave for you, he lives for you, but, but that doesn't just automatically get credited to your account. You've got to receive it for yourself. Nobody 
can do that for you. So, so how do you do that? It, it, there's no magic mantra. It's simply crying out from your heart what your life demonstrates to be true every single day. That Jesus, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Jesus, I know you died for me and, and I know you live for me now, so Jesus, save me. That's, that's the gift of salvation he's offering you. And if, if that's the place you find yourself in this morning, if that's you this morning and you know you need to cry out to Jesus to save you, I'd like to pray for you. And so if, if you would lift your hand where you're sitting this morning so I can simply pray for you as we close. And I, I need Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to ask him to save me. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you've known Jesus for a long time. Um, and this morning you're experiencing that crushing weight of your failure. The good news is available to you too. The invitation into forgiveness and grace is offered to you by Jesus. And just tell him, Jesus, I failed you. And you'll never fail me. I, I thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. And thank you for forgiveness. So right now, I'm going to choose to live in light of the living hope. Not because I deserve it, not because I'm expert, an expert at it, but, but because you've offered it. And it's more powerful than anything else. So if that's you this morning, and, and you'd like me to pray for you, would you lift your hand? I'd, I'd love to pray for you as we close. Thanks to see you. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. All right, Father, thanks. Thanks for these people who are just honest with their own hearts about where they are with you. Thank you for the ones among us who are deciding to put their hope and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. God, I ask that you would continue to walk alongside them and encourage them. And may we, may we help them along the journey. Father, thank you for those who are choosing to live in light of the living hope today. God, we all need that. Would you strengthen them? I pray your Holy Spirit would fill them fresh and remind them of their standing in you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So hey, as we close, I'm going to invite those of you who, who just received Christ as Savior. We, we thank God for you, but we want to walk alongside you. We want to encourage you. We want to equip you. And so in a moment, we're going to stand and close our service out with song. I'm going to invite you to leave your seat. There's nothing magical about leaving your seat. Just want to say that. There's nothing magical about you even raising your hand when you did. Uh, truth be told, most people are saved before they even raise their hand or leave their seat because they've made the decision already. They're just showing the people that they have. But if you, if, if you want support and help and we can come alongside you and pray for you and, and help you understand what this new life that Jesus has offered you is all about, man, I want to encourage you to, as we stand, to leave your seat, to make your way up here to the front corner, right under the exit sign there. We've got... Some folks who would love to pray for you. And then if you've made the decision and choice that you're going to walk in light of living hope this week, and you just need somebody to pray for you and encourage you, well, they're there for that too. So as we stand, why don't we stand together? And let's close our service out singing, and, and if you would come, come now.